0: We are going to be in Luke 12 this morning, but before you turn there, look at John chapter 5 for a moment. By way of introduction, I want to look at the words of the Apostle John in chapter 5, because what he speaks of in chapter 5 is the authority of the Son on the day of judgment to bring that judgment, and that it will not be something that souls can resist. You will not be able to resist the voice of the Son of God when the end comes, notice in John chapter five, verse 28. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. It doesn't matter how long you live, doesn't matter what kind of life that you say you lived, or what people said about you at your funeral. It doesn't matter that you, you lived long or short. It only matters that on that day. Christ's voice is going to speak, and all souls will immediately be rushed into his presence. All souls who've ever lived. They will come forth, verse 29. (laughs) Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. That is not to suggest that deeds get you there. Deeds prove the kind of heart you had. Deeds prove whether you belong to God or not. But on that day, since he's been given authority to execute judgment as the son of man, that is to say he is the Lord of glory, he is the God-man, the one who came from heaven to earth as the second Adam, died for our sin, having lived a righteous life and offered himself as a perfect sacrifice. That's the one. That son of man is the one who will speak and when he speaks, every soul will come forth immediately. Now when we talk about The culture in which we live, the reality is that that is just simply not believed by those who are lost. They do not believe a day of reckoning is coming. They do not believe the voice of Jesus of Nazareth will speak one day because he is alive. They do not believe any such things. They believe they're nonsense. And of course, that will be the stunner of all on that day when they are brought forth to him and realize in that frightening moment it was all true and they denied it all in their rebellion. But one of the church, one of those of us who know and love Jesus Christ, does the culture around us know that we know and love Jesus Christ? Because in Luke 12, Jesus has been addressing this whole issue. Whom do we fear? What do people know about us? How do you live? What is your reputation? Does Christ factor in to who you are in the minds of those in the culture? Let's look at Luke 12 and see how this argument is expanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a kind, wonderful truth that he gives us here, pointing us to that day of judgment when all souls will be called forth. And I love this text because in Luke 12, Beginning in verse 8, Jesus then goes from having said to us that we're more valuable to the Father as believers than, than any of the mundane things he takes care of meticulously. And so on that basis, you don't need to fear the world, but fear God. He then turns it, or at least whenever he said this, Luke put it here so that the conversation turns now in the same subject of the fear of man versus the fear of God, but it turns now to that day. What is that day going to be like? Notice verse 8, And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. And so when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now this text, as I said, is an expansion really of this whole entire section, which motivates us to think carefully about how we live, and what it reveals about whom we fear. The fear of man, as you know, the scripture says, is a snare. It is a destructive, restless evil, and it opens the door to all kinds of gospel compromise. And eventually, if the fear of man takes root, will lead you to that day, and you won't be on the side of Christ in that moment. What are the early signs? What are the practical weaknesses that you want to be careful to watch out for and to run from? Well, fear of man has all kinds of practical tentacles that go out. If you fear man more than God, you will downplay your relationship and association with Christians or the church or your profession of faith. You'll downplay it. You will downplay the strength and force of God's word or God's truth whenever it is preached with authority. You will downplay your relationship to those who know Christ depart regardless of the context, work, home, family. If you fear man, you will try to gain cultural respect. Especially if someone can rule over you in some temporal way and take something away, it might cost you in this life your security. If you fear man, you might want respectability in the academy. The liberal-minded person might be able to have an influence on you. So you're going to soften the hard truths that cut at the very core of what is someone's obstacle to truth. You'll try to soften it. If you fear man rather than God, you will try to find security here in this life whether it's resources or material things or some sort of power and position, some sort of prestige and reputation, you will find security, hold on to those things, you will grasp them, not let go of them, if you fear man. If you fear man rather than God, you, you will try in subtle ways, or not so subtle ways, to eliminate the gospel's demands, and you'll try to widen its definition of its mercy. This is what we see in the church with evangelistic efforts. We call it evangelism, but we have widened the parameters beyond God's own word. This is because we fear men. We want to speak the truth, but we want to make up our own definitions about whether someone's interested in it or open to it, and so we will tell ourselves things like, you don't want to drive somebody away, and so pretty soon the parameters of the truth get wider than Scripture, and this is a fear of man. And if you are stubborn enough in it, your fear of man, rather than openly confessing Christ, will eventually prove that you didn't know the Lord at all because you'll get on that day and be in the category Jesus puts people in right here in this text. You are to endure to the end Jesus said, Matthew 10, You will be hated because of me, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Why? Because your works get you there? No. But because it proves that you were in fear of Christ and followed Christ openly and publicly as a life. You might have had moments of weakness, even seasons of mutedness, but never a denial. Never an outright lifestyle of indifference or hostility toward Christ. Paul would say it like this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.12. If we endure, he will, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Jesus was like that. Jesus often said things that just sent shockwaves through a crowd. And at one particular point in his ministry, in, in really an unnerving reference to family life, he said this in Matthew 10. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me man your your family sensibilities recoil at such a statement if you love son or daughter more than me you're not worthy of me if you don't take up your cross follow me and and leave all those other things that would secure you then you're not worthy of me he said now we don't we don't talk about discipleship like that it's too unnerving but it does come down to that doesn't it it's a simple matter of Who you love more than anything or anyone else. And if you love Jesus Christ, you will honor him with your life all the days of your life, imperfect though it might be, seasons of weakness though there might be, you will honor him with your life if you love him above all other things. If you love him, he will be your favorite topic of conversation. He will be whom you want to talk about. Isn't that true? We already know that instinctively when you talk about relationships that you love. Even when you're engaged to be married or you get married, you know that, that you want to talk about that person all the time. Talk about what you love about them, what you like about them. And then as your marriage gets older, it gets deeper and the companionship becomes familiar. It's it's just your lifestyle. It's in you. It's embedded. Those relationships are precious to us. Is that how you... Are with Jesus. If you love Him, His person will be what you want to talk about. His character will be what you want to emulate and know. His redemptive work will captivate your imagination. You'll sit and ponder truths and, and marvel at them, maybe even stare off into space and friends are saying, What's up with you? Why? Because Christ, His redeeming work, your salvation at the cross, captivates the Christian. If you love Christ, you will defend the truth. You won't trample it, you'll defend it. If you love Christ, you will love his people, his church. If you love Christ, you'll love every word that he's revealed in his word. It'll be the supreme voice in your life. You love his authority, you don't rail against it. If you love Christ, you will love what he loves to pursue, what his passions are, and you will despise what he despises. And this text indicates that if you love Christ... His personal presence and fellowship with him in glory will be your deepest longing and your chief goal in life. That's what you're looking for. And all these things will be what you're known for in the eyes of the world around you. Beloved, to confess Christ before men is to openly and publicly profess that you are a follower of Christ whom you love more than all else. It is a life devoted to the honor of Jesus Christ, and you become publicly known for it. Whoever meets you, it isn't long before you become known for it. Whoever sees you from a distance but has to be in the same vicinity of you for some time, you become known for it. Something is different. You talk about the one you love most. You take interest in people's lives with Christ as a backdrop, with eternity on your mind, with souls at stake. It's part of what you're known for publicly you ever been embarrassed in the Christian life where you're living around someone and there you are working around them and, and then Christianity comes up and you say, I'm a Christian and they say, really? I mean, that's embarrassing when you say you love Christ. For someone not to know publicly that you're different. Sometimes we live like our old life. But we're to be a people who are publicly known for living for the honor and glory of our Savior. And to honor him, by the way, is to honor the Father. So you can't just have a relationship with God if you're not gonna honor Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes those famous people, particularly athletes, they get in an interview and everyone knows that they've made these tacit little religious comments. Oh, and, and I'll hear it all the time. Well, that person professes Christ. That person knows Christ. But when you hear them talk, about their life in Christ. They're in front of the microphone, and there are rules in the media. And if you violate those rules, you're going to pay a price. And so they say things like, oh, you know, I do this for my faith. I just love God. Listen, you're to be known for the honor of Jesus Christ. And you're given an opportunity to publicly profess the gospel, forget just living it out in front of people, why is it that so often just saying the name of the one we say we love most, it gets muted? The scriptures teach that to honor the Son is to honor the Father. John 5, 23, he, does not, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. If you knew me, you knew my father also, John 8, 19. He who loves me shall be loved by my father, John 14, 21. I mean, John loved in his gospel to put down all that Jesus said about that relationship. So, beloved, this is the core of what Jesus is about to say in this study in front of us in Luke 12. And we'll just get to 8 and 9 because 10 is a particular struggle for people, and I want you to understand it, so we'll get to that next time. What is it? When there's this unpardonable sin spoken of here, a sin that cannot and will not be forgiven, which is called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that next time. Very important that you understand what this means so that you don't have a struggle over those dynamics. But it's also a warning. How you treat the revelation of the Spirit of God is critical how you respond to the revelation of Christ. Look, some people come here every week and they sit here and they hear what the Spirit says and they ignore it. Don't do that. Don't do that. But in 8 and 9, Jesus tells us something very, very interesting. He tells us what the angels long to hear about us on that day. This text tells us what the holy angels long to hear about us on that day. The first thing the angels long to hear about us on that day in the presence of the Father is our name confessed by the Son. Your name, my name, all believers, our name personally on the lips of the Son in front of the holy angels. Notice, And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. Now we have to talk about this because if on that day the Son is going to confess us, it will be for one reason and one reason only. It will be in response to your public life. It will be in response to what you're known for. Response to how you live and what's on your heart, what's in your affections, what comes out of your mouth. Whether or not you're confessed or denied by the Son on that day comes down to the fruit of your faith. Is it publicly known? Do people know? Do you confess it? In fact, the verb confess here, as it's used in this text, takes this particular force. It is, it is a verb that takes the force of a life constantly confessing. This is your life constantly in its mode, always confessing Christ, always living for Christ, always interested in the honor of Christ. This is your life. And you live it in front of the world around you in an open way. You're not ashamed. It means to be fully aligned with Christ. You know, we've talked about the word confession before. It just means to say the same thing. So to fully align yourself with Christ and what he is and who he is and what he says what he's revealed, to be in full agreement with it and to live as if persuaded by it. That's this verb. You believe in him. You're fully entrusted to him. You openly profess it. And notice, you do it in front of men. You do it in front of the world. If that's the case, if you live it out in front of the world, if when spoken to, if in the sphere of your influence... You live it and speak it. This is your life. This is your passion. These are your affections. It's not perfect. Sometimes we are muted. Sometimes we do fear man. We confess that. We repent. Sometimes we're like Peter in the courtyard. We don't actually stand firm, but we weep bitterly over such times because we know we love Christ. It is in our hearts. It is spirit produced. If that is how you live and it's known to those around you and all the way to glory, that is the character of your life then in response to that public life the son of man it is said confesses you and not just confesses your name says that that all that's true of your name speaks that all of your love for him is true and genuine it's not just that but he does it in the presence of holy angels in the presence of holy angels Now, just a few things to just sort of think about for a second here. The first thing you notice then is that this is a persevering confession. This goes all the way. You know, years ago, you know, a book was written, The Gospel According to Jesus, and it just just absolutely blew the lid off of evangelicalism. Why did that book by Dr. John MacArthur blow the lid off of evangelicalism? I'll tell you why. Because for decades, people had been trying to include their loved ones in the kingdom merely on the strength of signing a card, coming forward, during an invitation, some emotional prayer. It wasn't a persevering confession of Christ because they confessed Christ just like I did when I was seven years old and then I went and lived for myself. Later on, when I actually came to Christ at 21 years of age, someone who was there and I told them about it, they said, well, you need to get baptized, you need to get baptized because that's when you're saved. I immediately understood that. Why did I understand that? Because my profession of faith was not constant and it was not persevering all the way to the end. There was a season in there from seven to 21 years of age where I was a phony, childlike until about my teens, and then in the teen years, I lived for myself. I never outright denied Christ with my voice because I was afraid to do that. I grew up in the church. But my life denied him. My love for the world denied him. I was a Christ denier. And a book like the Gospel According to Jesus just basically took the mask off and said, all you people who profess Christ but deny him by your life and do not live openly for him, all of you folks are, you're lying to yourself. You don't know Christ. Because the first thing you notice about this is this is a constant confession that perseveres all the way till it is confessed by the Son of Man, your name on his lips, in glory in front of the angels. It goes all the way. There's never a season, there might be seasons of sin, but never a season where you're hostile to Christ or you're comfortable in indifference to Christ. If that's the case, you could never look back on that season and then think, that you belong in this category of one who's before Christ and his whole life is looked at and he's publicly known for his confession of Christ and therefore his name is on the lips of the Son of Man. You could never be sure of that. You just want to know, do I know Christ now? Do I love Christ now? Do I confess Christ now? Am I faithful to publicly make him known now? Or am I the kind of person who is totally indifferent and I'm utter- or I'm utterly hostile to it? I don't like it. I don't even like what I'm hearing right now. Look, beloved, this is not a one-time emotional reaction to some special moment in a church service where we are somehow overwhelmed by the environment and we make some bold statement about loving Jesus, but then we go back to living a life for ourselves without reference to the lordship of Christ at all. We love people. We talk about people. Christ isn't our conversation, our first love. In fact, we hide the reality that we have a religious background at all. Lots of people did that, and that's why a book like that was so controversial, because people got upset. Hey, you're telling me my kids aren't saved. Well, your kids deny Christ. Well, but they prayed and signed a card and went forward, so I believe they're in. No. It's not saying that you're a Christian when you're in with other Christians or in some religious setting and then becoming mute when you're with people who might be hostile to Christianity. If you're known among pagans as a pagan, you gotta think about this. This is a genuine life of confessing Christ openly no matter the cost because you love Christ above all else and it's not perfect and it's not always as bold as it could be and you're not as mature as you could be all the time. In some seasons, you're were, you were more like Peter in the courtyard than you are like Paul on the Areopagus. But your heart, in your heart of hearts, you repent of such things because you would gladly honor him all your days until you meet him face to face. That is what this is talking about. I'll tell you something else, beloved. The second thing you notice here is that it is the Son of Man who speaks your name on that day. And the Son of Man means he is your substitute. So every time you look to that day and say, yeah, he's going to confess my name, you are looking to the fact that he is your substitute for your sin. He's the one who paid your penalty. He's the second Adam. He's the one who raised from the dead. He is the Messiah. You're claiming the Messiah. You're claiming to have a savior that was the promised one, himself, the only one. Daniel 7 says that he would have an everlasting kingdom, this Son of Man. He's the God man. And by the way, that tells you also that this is exclusively the Son of Man doing the confessing on that day. Notice there are no other saviors in that verse. You understand that, right? You're not there to confess your own name. Mary's not there, beloved. She's not in the verse confessing your name. So if you grew up in the false religion of those kinds of things, like like my wife's family did, don't worry about that. There is no other redeemer. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you can be saved. Only the Son of Man is the one who does the confessing on that day. On behalf of the Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and his genuine testing of your heart. Only the Son of Man. Messiah. Messiah. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 6, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. For just as lightning comes from the east to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. He's the one who's coming back for his people, Matthew 24, 27. And they will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, John 1, 51. And even in John's revelation, he saw in John one fifty one, uh, in the first chapter of Revelation, there was one like a Son of Man and he was in that heavenly scene. That's it. The third thing you notice about this amazing moment is that we are confessed by the Son of Man in heaven before the holy angels of God. This it's remarkable where angels appear in the scriptures. And often in judgment cat contexts, here you have this glorious moment where you have the holy angels of God are are there and there you are. And if you have been known as one who denies the world and confesses Christ openly and it's been this constant striving and confessing all your life because in the power of the Spirit you love him, you are regenerate, then on that day your name will be on the lips of the Son of Man in front of the holy angels. They will hear that you lived openly before the world of men and women. And they will hear that you confessed Christ and lived with the fallout. And they who love to exalt the Lord day and night will know that you exalted the Lord in your life day and night. And they will be there to rejoice as your name is on the Son of Man's lips. And they will rejoice. How many angels? Well, (laughs) the Bible doesn't say, but they were created on the first day. God created the heavens and the earth, all their hosts. And when you get to the book of Job, sort of the oldest, artifact we have, it says that when God was creating the heavens and the earth, the morning stars were there singing gloriously as he was creating, so they were created on the first day, and Scripture describes their number as uncountable, innumerable, and, and it sticks two words together in the, in the Greek New Testament, myrioi, myrioi, so it's myriads of myriads, 10,000 times 10,000, I mean, just over and over, these innumerable, uncountable numbers of angels. And you know the Scriptures teach that at one point in the, in the collection of created creatures, all created at once, for they don't procreate, and they were all created in their untested innocence, a third of them rebelled in pride against God and were thrown out. And they were, at that moment, confirmed in eternal rebellion and judgment. They will never be redeemed, cannot be redeemed. But two-thirds of them remained and confirmed then in their holiness and those two-thirds are before the father they do his bidding they take care of his people they carry out his redemption and in the end they will be there in the judgment and on that day in court when your name is spoken by the son of man you are possessed by him it will be in front of these angels it's amazing that they're there They're in the divine courtroom of Almighty God. They're looking to affirm God's verdicts on souls. And then they're going to fulfill their role in whatever that means. If you are a Christ confessor and they hear your name spoken by the Son of Man, they will affirm it and they will begin to carry out the wonderful inheritance and redemption plan and their part in giving it to you. On the other hand, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, Luke 9, 26 says, and the glory of his Father and the glory of his holy angels, they also are those that deal out judgment. You say, really? The angels carry out judgment? Yes, the holy angels, they will carry out the judgment against those who were the deniers. You can jot down a few references, Matthew 13, 40 and following. Listen to this. Therefore just as there are tares as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire you know how a farmer has wheat fields and some of the uh, some of the tops of the wheat they don't have any grain in it they're the tares among the wheat so just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire so shall it be at the end of the age the son of man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness man the angels are going to go and grab souls and get them out of his kingdom, and they will be cast into the furnace of fire, into the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 49 of the same chapter in Matthew, Matthew 13, says, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels shall come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and cast them into the furnace of fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 16, 27, Jesus said, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father and with his angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. And by the way, affliction in this life is a sure sign to the unbelievers that glory is coming in the next life. You know how that, you know what, why that is? Because God knows how to deal out retribution to those who are living, all, living it up here in this world, but affliction awaits them in eternity. And he knows how to bring relief to those who are afflicted in this life and who are gonna have glory in eternity. Paul, by the way, said that to the Thessalonians, that sweet little church. Listen to these words in 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 and following. This affliction that you're experiencing is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you're suffering. That's right. We go through affliction and persecution here to test who we confess. To test our confession. For all, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Wow. It's only just for him to repay them and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire. So there it is. The affliction for us is now. <clears throat> the glory is in heaven when our name is on the lips of the Son of Man. the The people of this world are living it up here and now. Whether they have a bad life or a good life, they're living it up. But they will be the Christ deniers on that day. And Christ comes with His mighty angels. And notice this, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, beloved, the angels are coming. The angels will be there in that divine courtroom and the angels are coming. Revelation 14.10 He also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is mixed in full strength in the cup of God's anger and he, that is the false prophet and Satan and the Antichrist he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb Really? Yes The Antichrist, the false prophet, the beast and all who reject Christ are going to be tormented in the presence of the angels They're there The contrast in this text before us in Luke 12 couldn't be more stark. Notice, if you confess me before men, so the men of the world, you confess me before the world and you feel the persecution of it, I will confess you before the angels of God. Now, I mean, the contrast couldn't be greater. We're, We're the benefactors in the deal. All we have to do is do what comes supernaturally to the believer. We love Christ, so let's confess him openly. Oh, you say, but that's going to bring trouble into my life. Yes, but you endure the, the persecution and ridicule of mere human beings for a short time in order to have the affirmation and praise of the angels forever. You do the math. I love what one commentator said when he was pointing out this contrast. He said, look... Who would trade the acclaim of angels at that day for the pittance of the approval of men here for a few days? End quote. And as I said, it's not merely the angels who are the issue. They represent the scene in heaven on that day. But Jesus said, as Matthew records in Matthew 10, everyone therefore who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father. So you've got the Father Jesus confessing us before the Father. Jesus confessing our name before the angels. The angels affirming it. What do the holy angels long to hear about us? They long to hear the Son confess that we belong to him. They long to hear your name spoken by the Son, that you were purchased and that you are sealed and that you didn't love the world. You struggled with it. You didn't love the world. You, you might have muted it here and there, but you repented of it. You didn't love the world. You loved Christ. You loved the things of Christ. You fled the things of the world. That's what you were known for. And you were persecuted for it. And people didn't like you. And they turned away from you. And you lost friends. And you lost family members. And you lost the old life. Man, I remember the first meeting I had, the first lunch I had after I came to Christ and had an opportunity after I came away from a military site, to sit down with a family member with whom I was the closest friend and two other friends, dear to me, at the time in my pagan life. I remember that lunch. It was a fancy lunch. I took them to McDonald's. <laughs> Big spender. I didn't have a lot. I remember that. And I remember just hostility. Hostility. I mean, why did they have to be hostile to me? We were having lunch like we always had. I was the same guy in the sense of a friend. I wasn't threatening them. I wasn't calling them political insurrectionists. I wasn't accusing them of something legally. I was just saying, hey, I'm different. I can't go do the things that we used to do because I don't love those things. Let me tell you what's happened to me. I know Christ now. And even the one who was a family member didn't want to hear it. They were upset. I was a stranger to them all of a sudden. I remember in my heart wanting to mute that. I prepared for it, but I still wanted to mute it a little bit. It was painful to lose some old familiar friends. But you know what? I had to flee those things because I loved Christ the love of Christ was in my heart, it was in my mind, it, it, it was going down deep into my soul and he was my best friend he was my savior, how could I dishonor him now for what, for the approval of some men temporarily on that day the angels want to hear that you fled those things of the world and those people that you fled them and you loved Christ even if it cost you On that day, the Son of Man is going to say your name, and the angels want to hear it because they want to know that you gave up what you could not keep in exchange for what you cannot lose. They want to hear that that their Master, the author and perfecter of the faith of sinners, they want to hear their Master say that you belong to him, you are in his family, you're his brother or sister, you are his friend through all eternity. That's what they long to hear. How do you live? What's the evidence of your life? I'm not talking about religion at all. I'm not even talking about church attendance or any of those kind of things. We're just talking about what's in here. When you open God's word, when you meet a Christian, when you hear the truth, when you go to work and you see the world happen, when you notice a lost soul who's in misery for their lost condition, when you see a marriage destroyed, when you see a child oppressed or an orphaned child. And something in you goes beyond mere things that anyone in the world could feel apart from the Spirit. Just compassion. Those things that are a part of the image of God in man. Something in you goes beyond that and you want to give someone the gospel. You want to tell them about Christ. Is that you? Or do you just sideline it? You don't talk about it. You don't want to talk about it. I'll tell you what. I'd be a rich man if I had a small amount of money. For every time I've heard somebody say, "Well, you know, their faith is private," Would you, well, then Jesus' confession is going to be private in heaven. And what What are you talking about? Private. Notice that what the angels want to hear is that you're confessed by the Son and not denied by the Son, verse 9. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Look, if it's not going to be muted in heaven, it isn't needing to be muted here. Nobody's faith is private because you're not saved to be private. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You can't just believe in your heart and never confess with your mouth. You're going to have to say... I identify with Christ. You're going to have to be in the waters of baptism saying, I identify with Christ. I love Christ. I, I'm with Christ's people. I love his truths. I don't love the world. The world is hostile to the things that are holy and righteous because they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. I am of the truth. There's no private faith. He who denies me before men. There it is. It'll be in response to your public life. There it is. The denial by the Son will be also in response to your public life. And denial, by the way, here is the opposite, very simply, of confession. This word is used so vividly throughout the scriptures in various ways, and it just just sort of formulates a very amazing definition of what it means to deny Christ. To deny Christ, you know, the, the word is used, say, for example, in the Hall of Faith regarding Moses in chapter 11 of Hebrews. When it says he refused to be a part of Pharaoh's palace, and instead chose to associate with the, the reproach of God's people. He refused, there's that word, he denied Egypt. He denied Egypt. He disowned it, is the word. Or in 1 John two twenty three, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. There it is, you live for yourself, you don't live for God. You can say it all you want, but you don't actually... Live for God. You deny the Father. You don't have the Father when you deny Jesus Christ. You have no relationship with God. You're, there's nothing about your life that's Godward. It's all about you. It's all about the exaltation and worship of self. Or 1 Timothy 5 8, Those who refuse to provide for their families are said to have denied the faith. There it is. Someone who doesn't do what, what he's been given to do by God can claim to know Christ all he wants. But he's got people to care for and he refuses to do that. He says, you've denied the faith. You repudiate it. You have a claim and some responsibility, but you repudiate the responsibility by your life. You don't take care of it. You don't take care of your family. So there, in the sense, denial is repudiate, to to refuse to associate with. Or maybe the classic text, Luke 9, 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. You remember the sense of that word was to renounce. So now you get the idea of of this person that Jesus is describing. If you have a lifestyle, a comfortable life that is constantly disowning Christ, honoring yourself rather than Christ, refusing to associate with Christ, renouncing Christ, then you have denied him before men. That's how you live. You say, well, how would you know about that of any of us since we're here at church? Yeah, you can come to church and still do all those things. You may claim some association with the church, claim the name of Jesus, or claim some spiritual connection with God or a Christian heritage passed down from your family. But if you live for yourself and you love the world and you love its attachments and its securities and its temporal things and you want all the gusto you want here in this life and you're going after it and you believe in the end you can have Jesus too, you are sadly mistaken because it is, he is not a convenient moral garment that you wear at times to feel better about you and have other people think that you're better than you are. On that day, you'll be a Christ denier and on the lips of the Son of Man in front of the angels, your name will be spoken of as worthy of judgment. The denial happens in the presence of the holy angels. Wow. It's true. Our time is gone. I'll close with a passage familiar to you, but you just mark it down. But listen to this. On that day, here's what Matthew 7 says is going to happen. In the context of false teachers, isn't that interesting? In the context of those who claim Christ who claim to do things for Christ, to know Christ, to be in the kingdom of Christ, but you'll know them by their fruits, because by their fruit, they, they, they produce just a denial of Christ. In that context, he says, verse 21 of Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Look, good intentions, claims, professions, doesn't matter. You're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven merely by professing that he is Lord, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. That is to say, you confess Christ. You seek to obey him. You seek to follow him. You seek to honor him and to worship him, to live a righteous life in conformity to him. And then he says, many will say to me on that day, verse 22, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Look. I can tell you this, there are all kinds of people naming the name of Christ, claiming the power of God, and some are hucksters, some are just liars, some are part of illusionist sort of theatrics, and some are clearly doing it by the power of Satan, they are pawns in the hands of Satan, and mysterious and supernatural things are happening. They're going to get there even on that day and say, look at all the stuff we did, and we did it in your name. It's very important to know what Jesus says to them at that moment. He says, according to this text, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't know you. You're not my child. And then he he says something about them. You who practice lawlessness. What does that mean? Your lifestyle loves what is sinful. You love it. You don't hate sin increasingly, you don't run away from sin increasingly. You don't repent of sin that you've been committed, incre- committing increasingly. You, you don't find yourself miserable over the separation of intimate fellowship with God when you have been in a season of sin. You don't do that at all. You're quite comfortable to live like that. And then over here, add religious things to your life, maybe even go so far as to be involved in mystical sort of systems where supernatural power, though it is demonic, is on display. You're quite content for that because it gets you power and money, the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel. It's all about these tricks and these displays of power. Demons are behind all that stuff. You're quite content with that and you're practicing what is sinful. You love evil. You love wickedness. You love taking that money and that power and ruining people with it at your own greedy satisfaction. You love it. You just hide it behind a mask of religious pretense. And Jesus says to that person on that day, you're a Christ tonight. Matthew 24 and 25 says that these are going to go away, separated out. They're going to go into eternal judgment. But the righteous will be spoken to by the Son of Man. You're mine. Come into your eternal rest. You're with me forever. You're mine. There will be a day of judgment. People in the culture just don't believe it. Sometimes Christians act like they don't believe it. I'll finish with J.C. Ryle. Always J.C. Ryle. The guy's just, he's just so, so clear. He said, we must not be ashamed to let all men see that we believe in Christ and serve Christ and love Christ and care more for the praise of Christ than for the praise of man. The duty of confessing Christ is incumbent on all Christians in every age of the church. Let us never forget that. It is not for martyrs only, but for all believers. Uh Interesting, we sometimes think, oh yeah, there's, there's the real confession. Someone puts a gun to your head, yeah, that's when I'll really step up and confess Christ. He says it's not for martyrs only, but for all believers in every rank of life. And it's not for great occasions only. Oh, yeah, you know how it is. Oh, that famous athlete steps up and, and somebody puts a microphone. and You know, tell us your testimony. And he gives a grand testimony, but over there behind closed doors and in the dugout or in the locker room or in the, on the football field, he's full of himself. You'd be embarrassed for me to talk about it, but our own beloved Steve Cechek is the real deal. He's not afraid to talk about Jesus Christ, though it costs. prepared, if they're true Christians, to confess their master. And I love this. It needs no blowing a trumpet. That's right. You don't go out of this sermon and say, okay, I'm going to get bold for Jesus. Let me gather 20 friends. I'm just going to tell them. No, if you're living it, great. But why don't you go live it? And then when opportunities come up, speak it. Or go speak it and promise that if they've seen something different, then you're going to repent of it. I remember that's the way it was when I got converted. I had to call all these guys down in the the end room. and It wasn't so much me saying, I'm finally going to get bold with my testimony. You know what it was? It was me confessing that they'd seen me claiming Christ for three months, and I was just nothing but a hypocrite. Opportunity. But one thing is certain. If a man loves Jesus, he ought not to be ashamed to let people know it. Let's pray. Lord, what, a, what an amazing kindness to your people that you gave us these words. And you spoke them on that day and they are, they are for our edification. How kind you've been to us. Lord, we do sometimes fear man and we should fear you and love you the way you deserve to be loved. Sometimes we're Peter in the courtyard and we have to weep bitterly that we didn't say what we should have said. We were muted in our fear, like Luther the first day before the council. But then other days, you, we, we seek you out, and you, you call us to, to great strength, and we've repented of our sin, and, and in our circle, we're publicly known for, for our faith and for your honor, like Luther on that second day who boldly gave testimony and said, here I stand. Lord, that's the kind of people we need to be. We want to persevere all the way to the end because we long to hear our name on the lips of you, the Son of Man, our Savior, with all the myriad of holy angels around affirming it. And we should and would rather have that day than than an entire earthly life full of the praises of men. We are to beware when all men speak well of us. Keep us from that. And Lord, for those here today who continue in the dark blindness of their apostasy, I pray that you would be merciful to them. and May they not presume because they will be called forth by your voice. And that will be the end. They will have nothing to say. And in that point, it will be a proper muting. They will be divinely muted by holiness and their hatred of it. Be merciful to them, O God, as you've been merciful to us. Make us a people known for Christ. A public confession, a life of confession. We pray it for your glory's sake. Amen.